And I feel like that's kind of what James Baldwin is doing with this book. He's like, if this bothers you, that's your problem. That's not my problem. Yeah. To quote Robert Downey Sr. in Boogie Nights, that's a YP, your problem. Before we dive into this conversation, I do want to give a content warning that we will be speaking about abusive relationships, suicide, and some other touchy topics, so please take care when listening. Welcome to Red Wine Reads, a community of book lovers talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite books while pouring a glass or two of wine. I'm your host, Jenna Miller, and with me today is Ella Kopakin, the woman who knows French pronunciation pretty much better than myself. Before we start, I should warn you that we do spoil the endings of the books we review, so if you don't like that, then please go finish the book and come right back to this episode. But if you're just here for the fun-loving conversation, then welcome. We're so glad you're here. Whether you want to read one, none, or all of these books, the choice is up to you. But uh, I do want to remind you that these reviews are not backed by any science or experience, just purely to opinionated amateur readers. So you may hate the books we love or love the books we hate. Everyone has different tastes, but we hope this podcast is fun to listen to no matter how you like your books. You can share your opinions and tell us your hot takes on these books on our Instagram and TikTok at Podcast. That's at R-W-R-E-A-D-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. So without further ado, let's pull some quirks and get reading. This week, we read Another Country by James Baldwin. Welcome to another episode of Red Wine Reads. I feel so sad because you're not in the room with me anymore. <laughs> I know. I listened to that episode because I edited the episodes and I was just like... <laughs> <laughs> so we were very thoughtful about our book choices. You know, we're taking season two very seriously. And so we were very excited that we were like, February's coming up. That's Black History Month. We did not plan it accordingly that we would release these episodes in February. So we are recording a book for Black History Month in Black History Month, but it is being released in March. Apologies. We're like, we'll start season, we'll give us January to kind of chill out with the episodes we have. And then for February, we'll do it. And then we all kind of assumed that February was January and that March was February. And it wasn't until Jenna and I took a look at when we were recording that we went, okay, we really tried. But anyways, I I just wanted to preface that. Anyway, let's get into one of the best authors of the 20th century slash ever. There we go. And so this week we read Another Country by James Baldwin. So before we get started, I have a few quick facts. I couldn't get all of the quick facts because I feel like James Baldwin just has all of the facts, but I tried to get as many as I could. This book uh, was published in 1962. It has a whopping 4.3 stars out of five on Goodreads. Ridiculously good. A little bit about James Baldwin. He was born in 1924 in Harlem. He didn't really know who his biological father was. Some people have speculated that he was a drug addict, uh, died when he was small, but nobody really knows because his mother never disclosed who his birth father was, but she married his stepfather and he was pretty close with him, said, called him dad. They did kind of get in some tiffs and toward the end of his life, his stepfather was really out of it. They had to put him into a mental institution because he just wasn't getting his facts straight, became very violent, acted out. And unfortunately, he died and had his funeral on James Baldwin's 19th birthday. James Baldwin grew up in a very volatile Harlem. And he said, you know, everyone he went to church with either got hooked on drugs, got hooked on alcohol, part of a gang. He once wrote that I never had a childhood. I didn't have any human identity. I was born dead. He also was struggling with his sexuality when he was getting into high school. He also went to a high school that was predominantly white, Jewish, 
one of the only black kids in this predominantly white high school. And so then once he left high school, he started writing, he started publishing. I mean, he kind of started publishing in high school, really, but really started pick up, picking up speed. He published a series of short stories called Notes of a Native Son that really gained the attention of the nation. And then after that, he just started writing book after book that just kept blowing up. And he was writing about racial identity. He was writing about the American dream. He was writing about interracial marriages and relationships. He was writing about struggles of sexuality. And this is the 1940s through 1960s through, you know, 1970s. And he was really close with Malcolm X. He's really close with Martin Luther King Jr. And his writing had such an impact on the culture as a whole. I cannot believe I had never read anything by him. I think I had read bits of notes of a native son in college, but I don't think I've ever read a full novel by James Baldwin. And I'm just, my mind was blown. This was the first James Baldwin book I had read too. Again, like you're presented with some of his essays or, you know, I've seen his speeches. Obviously there's a couple of documentaries, which I'll talk about later. Hearing him speak or reading bits of his writing, he's so outrageously brilliant and he writes that way too. So I was kind of scared. I I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to literally comprehend all of the complex processes that he is putting across. I could not agree more. I think I I was also nervous because I'm like, am I going to not understand it? And am I going to be like missing all the big points? And on some level, yes. On another level, I feel like I was able to understand it in a way that like I wouldn't have being high school Jenna. Very much appreciated that I read this now. But I just think his prose in general is just ridiculously outstanding. And so I think that's just part of the reason why it's a book that you're just flipping through the pages and you want to know what happens next and you want to know what happens in these people's lives. And it's not just like, God, this thing is dense. Like I can't make it through. That I really, really appreciated. It takes a really skilled author to write in such a poetic, important, complex way, and then keep your audience simultaneously so engaged with the characters and the plot points that they are willing to challenge their capacity for ideas and reading to get there, to figure out what's happening because it is just that good. And he can do both. Yeah. Well, speaking of plot and characters, great segue. Let's hop into it. (laughs) So, uh, but first of all, we got to say, what are you drinking tonight? Okay. So everyone, I'm on a month long road trip and I'm not like buying fifths of whiskey. So I am drinking a seltzer water that was provided to me by the Airbnb I'm currently staying in. Shout out. (laughs) Well, I am drinking just straight up whiskey on ice. I felt like that just needed to happen for this episode. Yeah. So I felt like, well, we have bullet bourbon here, bullet whiskey. So I'm just going to throw it on some ice and that's going to be it. So here we go. We have our main characters. So we have, we open with Rufus. He is of African-American descent, down on his luck, broke jazz musician, just trying to make it in a rough spot is to put it lightly. He is in this position where he's like, society hates me. I hate myself. And he gets into a relationship with a white woman and ends up abusing her. And it's not a great situation. It's a very volatile relationship. She ends up in a mental institution and he ends up jumping off the George Washington Bridge, committing suicide. 
We have Ida, who is uh, Rufus's sister. She kind of appears when she's starting to look for Rufus. She ends up getting into a relationship with Rufus's roommate and good friend, Vivaldo. And Vivaldo's grappling with this idea that he's bisexual. So he is in love with Ida, but he also kind of, as we get deeper into the book, he ends up getting into a sexual encounter with one of his good friends. And as he looks back, he's like, oh, I may have had feelings for Rufus in this way, and I didn't even know it. And that person that he ends up getting into the sexual relationship with is Eric. And so Eric is this aspiring actor. He is also kind of grappling with his sexuality. He moves to France and is in a relationship with Eve, who is a black Frenchman. So they're in an interracial relationship and Eric and him just have this beautiful relationship. Eric ends up wanting to go back to the US and wants to bring Eve with him. But he's like, I'm going to go and then you can follow a few months later. And so once Eric comes into the United States, he ends up reconnecting with an old friend named Cass. Cass ends up having a affair with Eric. But they kind of have this agreement. Once Eve comes back into the picture, she's gone. So Cass is unhappy in her relationship with Richard, who is a writer. He's being able to sell his book. Vivaldo is also an aspiring author, but he's kind of writing these more complex stories and hasn't really gotten around to finishing these books. But he ends up finishing when Ida reveals she was cheating on him with Ellis, this guy from Hollywood, I'll just say. So he ends up being like, wow, that actually didn't affect me as much as it should have. And then he just goes and starts writing his best-selling novels. And then we kind of end the book and Eve comes into America, connects with Eric and voila. Yeah. I think the only other person worth mentioning is Jane, who is Vivaldo's sometimes girlfriend who is much older. Everybody in the book is kind of in their like late 20s, early 30s. Cass and Richard are kind of the older ones in their early to mid 30s. But then Jane is probably in her 50s or 60s and, and she's kind of known as this alcoholic sort of mess who's just obsessed with torturing Vivaldo. Yeah. I think it's funny that books that kind of were published before like the 1990s don't really have a set summary. So here is like the summary that I found on Goodreads for this book. This was actually, I also should have added this into our quick facts, but this book was nominated as one of America's best love novels by PBS's The Great American Read. That's how loved this novel is. So this is set in Greenwich Village, Harlem and France, among other locales. Another Country is a novel of passion, sexual, racial, political, artistic that is stunning for its emotional intensity and haunting sensuality, depicting men and women, blacks and whites, stripped of their masks and gender and race by love and hatred at the most elemental and sublime. In a small set of friends, Baldwin imbues the best and worst intentions of liberal America in the late 1950s and early 1960s. We kind of already talked about things that we liked about this book, but uh, this was like one of the best books I've ever encountered in my entire life. And even listening to it on an audio, you can tell how beautiful this prose is. I would be walking the dog and I'd hear a line and I would type it out of my phone. I'm like, oh my God, that was like the best thing I've ever heard. For a book to translate that well, it's almost poetic in a way. Yeah. From page one, I was like, oh, I need to take my time here because it's so funny, like reading this on the back of Stay True, which was our last episode, but they both are written in such a way that every single word has so much permanence and importance. And this book in particular is strung together in such a way that each sentence kind of bleeds into the next. So 
you kind of have to just go with its flow. So it took me a while to read. I think I'm going to go back and like read it again because I listened to it. Say what you will about audiobooks. I do think it is it counts as reading a book. But I do want to like go back and actually read the physical copy to get that line by line type of feel because I would catch little bits and be like, that was stunning. And to hear you say that every line is like that in this book, I just want to like go back now and really take my time with it. But I think it helps that I'm like, okay, I know what the storyline is. I know who my characters are. And now I can go back and actually take in the prose. I'm looking forward to reading it again and and coming back to this book because I think this is one of those that is just going to stay on my shelf and I'm going to come back to every couple of years and be like, I just, I want a good book and I want to come back to something. And this is going to be one of those. It's just, again, it's Baldwin doing something that is so unbelievable because he's incorporating what were at the time radical ideas around race, around the sexuality of women, around homosexuality, around age, all of these different interlocking complex areas that are considered still to this day as volatile and as dangerous in a lot of ways that they were when he published this in 1962 and was writing this in the late 50s. Then to couch all of that in this narrative of love and passion that it's so transportive. It almost reads like a script because you can feel the heat of the summer. You can smell New York. All of that balancing philosophy and politics and incredible narrative storytelling. It's wild. I wrote that too. It is baffling that he is able to write about a woman's orgasm. It's crazy that he's able to write about a white and black gay relationship. He's writing about this back in the 1960s, and yet these issues are still here today. But just the complexity of every single relationship, every single character, actually creating a character that you care about and that you want to see what happens to throughout the entire book. I feel like that's always one of my biggest sticking points with books with a lot of characters and a lot of narrative storylines. And I can say like without a doubt, every single character had a purpose in this book and had a reason for being inserted into each person's storyline. Yeah, no, I agree. I also was going to say he's very conscious about the race relations in each relationship. There's Rufus and Leona. She is white and he's black. There is Vivaldo and Rufus as friends slash maybe could have been lovers. Rufus is black. Vivaldo is white. He's Italian. Then there's Vivaldo and Ida. She's black. He's white. Then there's Cass and Richard, both of whom are white and Anglo. Then there's Eric, who's white and Southern, but is very much in touch with his homosexuality. And so he's still an outlier. And then there's Eves, who's foreign both in terms of his country and also in the fact that he is a black man in a predominantly white country in France, just like he is in the United States, and he knows no one else in the book. The the building of all of that and the interactions of all of that and ages of each character, Ida being young, Cass being older than Eric and having an affair with Eric, everything is laid out in such a complex web, but he's consciously using it as an opportunity to dissect the differences 
in each kinds of these relationships in terms of race, in terms of age, in terms of gender, in terms of all of that, you're kind of just consistently blown away by his ability to use relationships. I and mean, this is 1962. This, this isn't like, you know, in, in amidst all of the activism of the late 60s, like this is, it's a, it's a huge preface to that. And I can't believe that he... Well, I can believe it. If you're black in America, you have a very different perspective than if you are white in America. And James Baldwin, I think, has a really incredible way of telling his experience with you while using these very fully thought through other characters to do that. Yeah, I think you touched on a very interesting point there where even us talking through this book, we are two young white women. And I wanted to get kind of somebody's opinion who is not me, (laughs) who, you know, who has a different experience than me. So I went on to YouTube and I found this woman, she's Diana in color on YouTube and she does book reviews. And so she did a book review on another country and and she's a black creator and go follow her. She's great. But she did a book review and she was talking about Rufus specifically as a character. And she was like, James Baldwin captured this idea of being black in America, being walking on the streets with a white woman on your arm and being like, are they looking at me because of our relationships? Are they looking at me because of like the color of my skin? Are they looking at me because of what I'm wearing? But you're noticing these eyes on you no matter what. It doesn't matter what they are looking at per se, but you're noticing this as you're walking down the street. And she touches on how James Baldwin captured that to a T, but also captured this idea of internal hatred. So like, I hate myself because of the color of my skin, because of me being black in America and how people are reacting to me. And so that's what Rufus is struggling with is that self-hatred. And so then he gets into a relationship with Lenora and he is battling with this self-hatred. So how is he able to love another? And Vivaldo goes through that exact thought process of, I need to learn to love myself before I can love another. Rufus doesn't get that because he is struggling with so many different things. And so the last thing that he has to turn to is suicide. It was brutal, but for me to listen to somebody give a review and talk about that, I just thought was fascinating. And it made me appreciate Rufus's storyline that much more. When I started reading the book, I found Rufus's story to be the hardest and It purposefully is clearly, but he, I think he just touches on this idea of what being secondary in your own country feels like. And in a country that your ancestors didn't choose to be in and that you don't know what place you're supposed to hold, which is an idea that Baldwin talks about a lot. Rufus's character was just so jarring because it's really hard to walk through the brain of someone who is just totally self-loathing because of these oppressive, horrible, cruel outside forces that are reinforcing that notion all of the time. You touch on a very interesting thing, too, that makes me think of in New York, you have a giant melting pot of not just white and black, but you have the Irish coming in, you have the Jewish population coming in, you have the Italian populations coming in. And we see that with Vivaldo. But like, how do you have so many different cultures and how do you cultivate your own American culture? It's I think that that's the point that James Baldwin is grappling with the whole book. He writes 
the character of Rufus, who is friends with white people, but also is just kind of a loner generally and, and is almost kind of so in his own space. And then Ida, his sister, Rufus's sister, is very hyper-conscious of the position that she occupies as a Black woman in society. And I found her tete-a-tetes with Vivaldo so fascinating because James Baldwin was kind of touching on this like idea with Vivaldo of Vivaldo clearly feels that just by being Italian and having historical examples of his people's oppression, he and Ida in the same boat. And she makes very clear that that is not the case, both in the fact that she's a woman and especially in the fact that she's a black woman. And the lines that kept sticking in my head were the section where Vivaldo gets off the phone with his mother, who's invited his girlfriend, she doesn't know that his girlfriend is black, to a birthday party. And when Vivaldo says, you know, Ida, do you want to go? Ida says, I don't want to educate your family. It's not my job, essentially, to educate your white family on the fact that I'm a human being. And to have written that, he really was articulating ideas that even for the time and where the activism got to were extreme progressive notions. And I don't know when as a society we are ever going to properly give James Baldwin his due because these ideas are so dangerous to so many people still today for reasons that ultimately just dig into self-loathing. That's what it all boils down to. Oh, 100%. And he touches on that idea of morality and like how each character was flawed in their very different ways. I just thought that that also kind of just humanized these characters and made them easy to connect with because they're all freaking human. I mean, that's the thing is Baldwin is like balancing all these ideas. But at the same time, he is just driving home the idea that like you just said, we are all human. There are these created things that have separated us into factions, these these created notions. But ultimately, he's showing how ridiculous those factions are and how things play out because life is not black and white. It's Vivaldo realizing that he's as attracted to men as he is to women. It's Cass being an older woman rediscovering her sexuality with Eric. And Eric saying that he can do Cass a favor while also being in love with Eve. All of these people are super contradictory, which I really love. Rarely do you see a character that goes against themselves so often and every single one of them does it. It's these moments of like, I'm sorry to get into it, Jenna, but let's get a little bit steamy. The way that sex is depicted in this book is really, really interesting because there are moments where it is very, very bad and sexual assault and rape are discussed, especially in the case of Rufus and Leona. But usually sex is used in the book as a common ground. And I found those sex scenes, normally when I read sex scenes in a book, I'm like, fun, but I'm not like, hmm, this time, (laughs) this time I was like, okay, what is this revealing about the character? Because like the sexual, the sex scene with Eric and Vivaldo, for example, is this really like natural coming together that to both of them feels like a long time coming without them even knowing it. And it's this moment of you feel your body releasing in the book. Or like when Cass has sex with Eric too, you feel her feeling empowered again and you feel him feeling loved. Those are the moments too that I think, you know, are easy to glaze over in a book like this because you're so focused on the analysis that he's doing of cultural topics and political topics. But he also is providing these really human moments that are so tangible. I really respected the dichotomy of that. No, 
no, you said it so right. I mean, I, I kind of mentioned this at the very beginning, but Eve's and Eric's relationship is one of my favorite relationships in the entire book. Like it is so pure and it's so sweet because it's like Eric and him took their time. Eve's was kind of like, let's see if you can kind of prove yourself to me, which I love. And then eventually they kind of give in and they have that beautiful first sex scene of them actually coming together physically because they were just hanging out for, you know, a month or so and then they actually come together. I think that their relationship, it did have its downs. They did fight and they did talk about some real stuff, but I think it just showed there is such thing as a healthy relationship. Yeah. And also, you know, it's the strategy of building them in this sort of Eden-like garden and having that be their, the kind of sanctuary of for them, but also for the reader is so lovely because the way that this book goes from character to character, you're so invested in one story and all of a sudden it stops. And when we got to Eric and Eve, I was, you know, you finally get this reprieve and it's so refreshing and it helps you dive back into the rest of it. The other thing I was going to say too is like the fact that he's writing about things that shouldn't be considered radical, but were radical at the time and are still radical now. And the fact that he's so frank about each sexual interaction and the fact that he clearly consciously just doesn't make a big deal out of whether it's sex between two men or sex between a woman and a man. He is writing about these things in a very matter-of-fact way so that they're only shocking if you have something within yourself that for some reason make them shocking. But he's actually just writing about life in the way that we all live it. So the fact that these notions are considered radical of like interracial couples, homosexual couples, couples, that kind of thing. He's very blatantly saying with the style of his writing, like, if this is an issue, it's your problem. That reminds me of something. So Nettie Okorafor, she writes, she actually was like one of the authors for the Black Panther series for Marvel, like kind of later on. And then she wrote uh, this book called Who Fears Death? And she, which is still one of my like top 10 favorite books of all time. She was talking at our school and somebody during a Q&A asked her like, well, what if people don't know about the African gods that you're writing about in your books? Shouldn't you give some more background? And she goes, if they care enough, they'll look it up. And I feel like that's kind of what James Baldwin is doing with this book. He's like, if this bothers you, that's your problem. That's not my problem. Yeah. To quote Robert Downey Sr. in Boogie Nights, that's a YP. Your problem. (laughs) Well, he is. And like, the thing is, is I think that that it's very symbolic of who he was as a human being in every interview that he gives or in every debate he's saying things that are blatantly true are sometimes subjective, oftentimes objective in a way that we don't want to admit. And he's like, it's not that he's openly daring you, but he's just saying like, this is truth. So if you can't handle the truth, to quote another movie, (laughs) you're going to have to deal with it yourself because I'm here, I'm living, I'm an example of where we could be as a society and you're choosing to be a hindrance to yourself and to everyone around you by not learning, by not reading, by not doing. Absolutely. Well, let's end on that. So final ratings. I'm going to give this a five out of five. I think that each character was so thoughtful. Each storyline was so thoughtful. It's an impeccable book about just the human experience. And I think that anyone who wants 
a book that'll make them think and will make them want to talk about it with someone for two plus hours, I think that it's just worth it. And so I would recommend this book to literally anyone who just is a fan of literature. So... (laughs) That's where I'm at. Five out of five. I'm also going to get a five out of five. I, again, it's, it's everything that I've laid out, but just to reiterate, you know, he balanced academia and narrative. He created a script that you could taste, see, smell, hear everything that he talked about. And he was touching on and delving into quite deeply issues surrounding Black America and women and age and marriage and queerness and all of these, literally every issue except maybe climate change, although he does talk about smog and heat. So maybe he's even touching on that. He really did it all with this book. And I've just never, yeah, it's one of the best books I've ever read hands down. Amazing. So let's get into our pairings. So this is where we pair today's book with uh, TV shows, movies, maybe other books that we think will pair well with today's book. We also will pair a drink that we think will go well with today's book. So let's get into it. Yeah, you go first. I feel like we probably both have the same alcohol that you are drinking right now, which was mine just was just like whiskey and a huge ice cube. That's the only thing that you want to... First of all, I despise whiskey. Literally no one ever give me whiskey unless it's in the form of a whiskey sour. It's actively gross. But, you know, whiskey companies, please sponsor us. <laughs> I was going to say, whiskey companies, just send Ella uh, every bottle you have in possession. <laughs> but it's like that that bittersweet, weird whiskey taste is all over this book. And it's the description of New York in the summer. It's like, that's the drink vibe. <laughs> And then, okay, so movies. So there are two James Baldwin documentaries that I really encourage people to uh, look up. The one is called I Am Not Your Negro, and the other one is called James Baldwin, The Price of a Ticket. And I Am Not Your Negro in particular is really interesting because it delves into his un- Baldwin's unfinished manuscript of a book that he was writing about three of his close friends, Medgar Evers, uh, MLK, and Malcolm X. I really encourage, but also what I was going to say earlier, if you don't have the time to watch a whole documentary, what I really recommend is just literally on YouTube, looking up like James Baldwin talk show interviews or James Baldwin debates and just watching a couple of minutes of one interview or a couple. And if you want to watch more, you can, but just you really get a taste for him. And I think that he, as great of an author as he is, and he's one of the best, he's even better when you hear him. He just really had such an utterly original way of perceiving the world and it comes across in how he speaks as well. So I really recommend that. Book-wise, I had uh, Tony Mo- Jazz by Toni Morrison, which is such an incredible book and also is just like one of the best books ever written but happens to be about New York and happens to be about Harlem. And that takes place a bit earlier. It's set in the 20s, but it's it, it feels kind of kindred. Really recommend. And then uh, TV show-wise, I am so excited to talk about TV shows. One is Pose. Pose takes place in the 1980s and it is about Black queer and Black trans friends and just people in general of all walks of life. And it is super cool and really, really good and is a representation of the ballroom scene in the 80s that you can also see in the documentary Paris is Burning, but just really shows basically just the fact that like 
America is built on black culture. And then the other TV show I'm going to recommend that I'm so excited to talk about is a little show called The Nick. It takes place in 1901, I believe. And the second season, I think, takes place in 1910. And or maybe they both take place in 1910. I do not remember. But it's one of the two decades. But it's basically about the creation of the Knickerbocker Hospital in uh, New York. And so it, it deals with a lot of things in New York, but in particular has it has the same kind of layers that another country has in terms of dealing with a black doctor be, who he's in relationships with, uh, an Irish woman, a white man who's the head doctor and their sexual dynamics. So it deals with a lot of the kind of similar types of people that another country deals with. And also examines race relations and sexual relations in in New York, just in like, you know, 40 years earlier. That's cool. I, I have never heard of that show. So I was just like Googling it. I'm like, oh, that looks good. <laughs> it's incredibly good. It only got two seasons and I really wish that it had gotten more. And I will actually recommend The Nick until the day I die. It is incredible. Okay. Well, that's next up of my uh, to watch list. So there we go. This is why I love doing the show. <laughs> yeah, like all my TV and movie recs too. All in one fell swoop. Yes. Yeah, so my drink, I Googled, I did a quick Google of what uh, whiskeys or scotches do they drink in the 1950s. And my brand came up as IW Harper. And as I was looking at that, I was like, that looks very familiar. And it's familiar because uh, the bourbon company that I represent in my PR firm is Blade and Bow, and they are distilled at the Stitzelweller Distillery in uh, Louisville. And I.W. Harper is also distilled there still to this day. So I'm like, oh my God, how fun is that? So anyways, that is my drink. Uh, It's I.W. Harper bourbon on ice. Uh, My movie is going to be Rent. So um, I think that the thing that they have in common is kind of the following the lives of Bohemians. So the following the lives of artists, just trying to make it in New York. You know, they both deal with the struggles with sexuality, the struggle with drug addiction and alcohol addiction, and just trying to like make your way in New York with, you know, little to no money and having that community support. And so I feel like Rent also tackles that. And also, you know, Rent just follows the AIDS epidemic of the 1990s, uh, early, like late 1980s to early 1990s. And I just think it's kind of gives the same vibes as, as I was reading this book. And then my book, I have two. So I did The Mothers by Britt Bennett. But uh, The Mothers is probably one of very few books to make me cry. <laughs> and so it's not for the faint of heart. It's very, very tackles a lot of difficult conversations. It follows this young girl and her mother committed suicide and she's just trying to make it in this town. You know, she's black and she's, you know, trying to kind of survive in this southern town. And it's called The Mothers because it's, ri- it's written from the point of view of this group called The Mothers that, you know, are part of this church and they're just kind of watching her go through all this turmoil she goes through. And and it just follows her story. And I just think that that story was a very um, stark representation of just race and relationships and interracial relationships. <sighs> just such a good book. I highly recommend it. And my other book was Queenie by Candace Carty Williams. 
God, I freaking love this book. <laughs> it's so good. She writes in such a fun voice, but you relate so on so many deep levels with this character. They talk about her interracial relationship. It's, you know, it opens with Queenie getting out of this relationship with this white boy. She is a black woman and it kind of like wrestles with this, her identity. She's trying to refine her identity after this breakup and she's navigating all these unhealthy relationships, but also trying to like find worth in herself. It's such a good book. And then my TV show is The Last of Us Episode 3. <laughs> I don't know if you have been on like the pop culture band yet. Fact. It's called it's called fact, everyone. It's called yeah. fact. I just think, like I said, my favorite relationship in this book is Eve's and Eric. And I think that their relationship is kind of mirrored in The Last of Us episode three. It's just a deep story about love. And I feel like this is what this book was. So those are my pairings. <laughs> I totally agree. Give it up to The Last of Us, which is just... We're currently like, whoever's listening to this in the future, like we're just currently in the middle of The Last of Us. Okay. So like everybody just needs to butt out because we're all in the middle of The Last of Us fever and it's sweeping the nation. Anyway, on a serious note, this book is a total just masterpiece and go get it right now. If you want to have serious conversations about systemic racism and misogyny and homophobia, just the light topics of uh, around the dinner table, but seriously, such a good book. Please go out and read this. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked it, please go give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. If you want more book-related content, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Podcast. Again, that's at R-W-R-E-A-D-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. Until next week, keep your books open and your drink glasses full. Thanks all.